everyone and welcome to The Courageous Mama. I hope you're having a great week. Somebody said to me the other day, does your life get a bit calmer now that your children are older? And I laughed and I said, you know, I think everyone has their own amount of chaos, don't they? So just to name a few in my week to make you all feel better, I decided to paint our Welsh dresser pink, but forgot to tell anybody and then went out. So various people have got pink up the sides of their trousers or on their hands if they tried to get into that particular cupboard. A call from the school to say that one of my children had cheekily put somebody's phone in the microwave, not realising that when they closed the door it would automatically turn on. That was a very expensive mistake. He had to use up all his hard-won earnings that he'd saved from Asda for that. We nearly had a foster child yesterday, lots of meetings, lots of conversations, got right up to the wire and then everything changed and we didn't have a foster child. Our lovely neighbour Bertie came to stay for a few days as a respite from his nursing home, which requires all sorts of Covid regulations around it. And not to mention the fact that sometimes his sense of humour is a little, shall we say, Benny Hill. So I think we probably all have our own chaos in our way, don't we? This week, I have a fabulous conversation with Alice Bond. She is so fascinating. She's a sort of cultural observer, I would say, a sociological goldmine of information. And we started off by chatting about Christmas because they have a slightly different Christmas. They invite lots of people from the community to come and share their family Christmas with them, which, of course, they can't do this year because of COVID. But we soon got into some really gritty conversations about what does giving mean? How are today's kids, Gen Z, Gen A, evaluating success in their material world? And what are their perceptions, their influences, and what's their prevailing worldview? I found her really thought through about how we intentionally help our children to think critically and build their own views. And then we talked about tools for connectedness and the challenge, and she really challenged me here, of being unoffendable. Could you say that about yourself? I'll be so interested to hear your feedback on that. We live in an offended era. It's hard to hold an opposing view without being shamed for it. And of course, social media magnifies that. And then we end on a really challenging relational issue as she answers my question, what's a courageous thing you've done? I think you're going to love my conversation with Alice and you might find yourself pondering it a bit for days to come. encouraging our children to see that, that, that happiness comes in giving as well as receiving you're trying to be a bit more mm. environmental as well aren't yeah. you now i yeah. know that yeah. a lot of us are frightened by the notion of it because christmas is so covered in sort of unenvironmental offerings mm. how do you even mm. begin with that yeah i think it's like any change in life it's little and often and and details rather than trying to do this massive sort of grand sweep of change but i'm led a lot by our children they're very environmentally aware that's probably their highest factor for me personally um, my factor I like to include is, is, is justice in the supply chain. So just if there is an option for things which mean people are paid and treated well, then go for that over something else. Chocolonies is a slave-free chocolate bar, for example. It's absolutely delicious, sold in Sainsbury. But for them, they are really want to be low or no plastic. So last year with our crackers, but the first thing they looked for on the back was what's the plastic in the single-use plastic. So kind of moving away from single-use plastic, moving more towards justice. And that kind of goes with the whole spirit of it, we're really happy when we give and when we receive that we need both. And there's something beautiful about 
being able to know that every pound we spend is an investment into something and to know that that could be something really positive for the world and bless the earth as well. So it, it, yeah, it's, it's small and it, it, it's like every year, it's just something. Yeah, it was more about thinking through literally packaging and single-use plastic and then you know this year it will be something else building on that oh, that's interesting that your children have been the ones driving this do you think mm. that's common to their generation they're more yeah environmental? i think gen z so people born between nine, 2012 and 1997 so that's quite a broad range and, and some people debate whether it's 2008 9 10 11 12 so my daughter's 2008 onwards, my son's 2012. I thought he was Gen A, Alpha, the next one, but I think he might be Gen Z. They I like are that, you're that generation. It Gen Z, because we get Gen Z so much, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gen that, Z. But we are yeah, yeah Gen maybe Z. it's that, yeah. yeah. And they... you're right, the jury's out on where the exact dates are, but roughly speaking, you've got Gen Exactly, Z they're really a super, they're super aware of the environment and we're led by them on their values of what feels and sits right for them because they understand the tension between getting nice stuff for which they're also quite passionate about in that generation yeah the material goods are important because they feel secure but those material goods obviously come at a cost so they we love seeing them work through the cost benefit analysis of certain kinds of products like crackers and whatever that you used on christmas day that's so and brilliant. then doing fun family things which involve the environment which are positive like making reads and things like that which are more about getting with nature going back to what you just said about that generation being quite struck with the material things what's your basis for that i've been reading up a bit recently on that generation some blogs podcasts books and i think there's a sense of it's very straight success equals material gain it's very simple because there's not much else in our dominant worldview at the moment that, that that is it. And also a sense of wanting security in something that feels like a simple way to get security. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because I remember when my book was published and a lot of people say, you know, how's the book doing? How's the book doing? And I would find myself eventually saying, well, it depends on your matrix for success. If yes. that book changes one family's yes. life and gives them greater connection with their children, it's massively successful. But then I've got, That's you it. know, social media constantly pumping me with the numbers is the thing. The numbers is the thing. Mm. And I have to remind myself, actually, the change is the thing. The numbers is a very worldly view. Isn't Love it? that. And you've made a very sharp connection between the, the, the is social media matrix. They are immersed digital natives, especially the younger end of that, that age spectrum. Mm. So for them, exactly that, what, what social media says is valuable not totally because we train children in in the west particularly in this country to think critically which is great mm. but not totally but often they will absorb that matrix because it comes through that media mm. so yeah so I, I guess what we're talking about now is building other matrix for success like connection and feeling loved and valuable that don't necessarily come through having a very successful job that provides lots of income although that that is part of it so yeah. it yeah it's it's very interesting i know i'm going off piste a bit here but i'm quite interested are you intentional with your children about helping them to think critically around those things 
Totally. So when we watch adverts, why is that happening? Clickbait, why do you want to do that? Just saying it's fine, it's a business. We, we are very blessed with the service of technology and social media. I couldn't do hardly anything that I do in some areas of my life without it, but we just need to think critically about the fact it's a business and people earn money. So how are they earning money? If it looks free, where's the cost? So it's just kind of saying it is what it is. It's fine and we're grateful for it. Where would we be without search engines? But just thinking someone's got to pay a lot of people a lot of money for them to be able to deliver that service. So if you're not paying a subscription, where's it happening? And just just thinking through that, which is great. And they feel really empowered. And then it's less of a thing. It's like it, it's just life. You know, things cost stuff. People have to be paid. Yeah. And they're either paid through subscription or advertising. So let's just... Um, yeah. And also just that thing of every single thing you put online. Just, just be happy that it will be in the public sphere forever. Be aware of your digital footprint because it's a thing. And if you're happy that what you're going to put on, even if it's private WhatsApp thread that it could be in public domain forever, do it. And if you're not, don't do it. Don't ever believe delete. Don't ever believe it's private because it, it isn't necessarily going to well be that said. way. And yeah. that's just really helpful. Again, it's just empowering them to go, it is what it is. And what ages do, deal do you with it give, well. what ages do you give yours phones? So we've got a 12, 10 and 8 year old and we're a bit late because we kind of decided to give our... 12 year old her phone when she started secondary school yeah, so a lot of a people common. are getting it maybe year yeah. five year six yeah. but they live very very close to us the walk to school is very close there's no particular need beyond the social side of it which is very important and probably in some ways the most important and the photo the taking photo side of it so a lot of using phones taking photos and filming yeah. So do you really feel like you've set yourself up now for the others to have that? Yeah, I mean, it'll be, it's harder, as you know, yeah. when they've seen the older sibling go through that. But that feels like a nice moment if we can hold on until yeah. they are Good. just starting secondary. It'd be amazing because they don't need it for ge geographical reasons or safety reasons yeah. at the moment. Yeah, well Because done. of how close we are to their school. I'm just going to interrupt this conversation to tell you about a special offer. I love the feedback that my readers give me. They've had epiphanies around how to help their children respond to their boundaries. Without the arguments, without the relational breakdown, and better still, owning the responsibility that we as the parent are trying to get them to take on. Would you love your voice to be heard and responded to like that? Tidy rooms, respectful conversations, getting ready without tears and tantrums, them or you. If that appeals to you, then I think you'll love the book Parenting for Life. It retails at $19.95, but I'm offering you two books for £25, wrapped and packed and sent to your door so that you can have one for you and one for a friend. They're coffee table books. It's a rich, fully illustrated, hardback, beautiful gift, lovely to have on your coffee table, lovely to have by your bed, and you can pick little bits out or you can dive in deep. If you'd like to take that offer up, this is what you need to do. Pop to the link in the show notes at the bottom of this podcast, and that'll take you to a page on my blog that you can't access by any other means. And on there is your two for 25 offer and your PayPal option. Now back to my conversation with Alice. And I know that being relational is a really high bar for you. Is that intentional or is that just organic for you? I think that's a great question. I think I'm probably a bit of both organic and organized. 
I love the idea of connectedness that for me and that's why I really clicked with what what you're doing looking into your website your book parenting for life it's just all about that that's your heartbeat and that and that it totally resonates with me that that's the aim and I remember there were some experiences in my childhood which weren't happy and I remember thinking at the time this isn't connecting it was like there's a disconnect here in the way this is being handled so that is a real passion for me and my challenge is how to get there with the whole balance between empathy and boundaries that's my kind of yes uh responsive and me saying right well, you know <laughs> this is a place to connect and that and actually that isn't how it works and and so that that is my aim definitely how I get there is is I'm learning and have you nailed a couple of things is there a place where you go oh Right. I've worked out how that can be a good balance. Mm. So I think if I've done something wrong, just say sorry. I try not to do I'm the adult, you're the child. Therefore, even if I mess up, it's about you stepping up. That was the thing that didn't work. Children are very bright. They can see straight through yeah. stuff which isn't right. So I'll say something like, either specifically naming the actual thing, I'm sorry, I said that or did that, that was wrong, will you forgive me? Or generally saying, look, I'm not perfect, but on this one, can we just go with this? Can you just trust me that I've had a few more decades of life (laughs) and let's do this? And then I guess and more, more, I think the interesting thing is, of course, is intentional desire to connect, irrespective of of that stuff of going wrong, either on our part or the child's part, just wanting to be together. So, yeah, I think there's kind of a a vague sense, an intuitive sense in me. We haven't played a board game for a while. Let's play a board game or let's just go for a walk. Let's, you know, just something that's quite light touch. They still have freedom to say no, but a sort of bubbling up of this would be a great moment to just do this. So it's not like I've got my schedule in the diary, like, right, I'm going to have my time with you, you and you, and I'm going to do it like this. But it's not a a disconnect from that completely. It's an awareness. I want one-to-one time with each of you. I also want family time. And I'm going to feel for that moment where, ah, yes, I'm ready they're ready. This feels like it will fit. Just out of interest, are you a P or a J on the Myers Briggs? I, I, that is a great question. <laughs> I think I, I'm probably, I was probably a P when I did it. People like me swallow around in their early twenties, and then <laughs> I've been socialised to understand that you need to be a J. So I'm probably okay. now quite a balance. And and Chris, my husband it tends to be more Jay. So he's helped me kind of see the positives in turning up for stuff early, but I was always late. That was a major source of our arguments. I couldn't see it at all. I'm like, you just turn up, it's fine. You book, triple book, it's fine, it's fine. Now I'm like, no, it's not fine. You need to honor the person, get on time, plan, be intentional. So I think I've moved towards Jay and I'm quite liberated by it. I love that you say that you're liberated because I'm a Jay and I quite often notice that P's think that we're really sort of uptight, but I think yeah, there's liberty yeah. in being a J because you've got things sorted and then you've got freedom around that. Totally, absolutely, and I can see yeah. that. It took me a long time and it took me this growth mindset I have, which is I'm always willing to learn from someone different to me and I'm always willing to, obviously, I mean, it sounds so obvious when you say it, but there's so much more to know than my experience can say. Mm. And my experience of being a P isn't the fullness of life, so I'm going to learn from people. And obviously, because I really trust and love my husband, learn, I could, it was easier to learn from him because I could watch him and see it works. Yes. It just, his life kind of works. And so that was the liberating 
thing but what's lovely i'm beginning to because i i was repressing my pee for a long time and now <laughs> i'm embracing the inner pee of spontaneity there you can have some humor there you know there are some bits that the pee brings yes oh, definitely. <laughs> that, that makes it work as well so i'm good. trying to walk that narrow road of balance on that one <laughs> well done yes peas are very good in the moment people yeah i'm married to yeah. a pea and i really appreciate that kind of spontaneity I'm going left again here because I'm just loving all these different aspects of our conversation. You touched on growth mindset. Is that your kind of Carol Dweck growth mindset? I think it's maybe it's an instinctive, intuitive thing I've had. I remember from being late teens, maybe even mid teens, that I always want to learn and work on my stuff and grow. I don't want to die with a big cultural blind spot that was obvious to everyone else and not to me. And so I'm open to challenge from whoever it is, however well or badly it's packaged, including my children. And especially them, because I think they see very clearly in many ways. And why it's a growth mindset is it saying, because out of this, I'll become a better person. We've got this complexity around the idea of offence in our culture that we think to name some emotion offence means there's something fundamentally wrong. Whereas I made a choice a long time ago to become unoffendable, to just kind of go, do you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to name that that emotional feeling response and then go there. Why is that there? Is that appropriate? Am I actually not seeing clearly and the other person seeing clearly? And that's why I'm having this response. And it's such a great way to be because then there is opportunity for growth and change and empowerment in every situation. There's never a situation where we lose. I think there are times where there are such gross violations and injustice that it is just offensive. And I think we have to just label that and that is what it is. And it's just fundamentally wrong. But a lot of my minor offended feelings, I used to be very offended, were actually more about my problems and brokenness and lack of wholeness than, than the situation or the other person. So I kind of turned it around as an opportunity of growth. That's very courageous to be inoffendable. Are you finding that a difficult thing or have you hardwired that now? Oh, it's just hardwired. It, the best thing to do, I mean, this is what's amazing about parenting is children are neuro, were neurologically flexible from about 13 to 25 and it happened mm. to get me just at the right time. Okay. I, I do not know the trajectory of my life if I hadn't realised that because I was, you know, I, I was walking, let's say, down an opposite path. And it was just some, some inspirational people. Someone had a throwaway line. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know you could be like that. I thought you had to be offended. I didn't know I could become unoffendable. And it was just the right time in my 20s for me to go, okay, I, I'm choosing that way. And it's just brilliant. It means every single thing that happens that I could take as negative, I name it. And frame it. It's like I name it. This is uncomfortable. This is distasteful. This is, you know, it touches on rejection in me or insignificance or all these different things. Yeah. But actually, I frame it with this is also an opportunity for growth and change. What's and what's true? What's not about me? What is their stuff? Or what's mine? What's the situation stuff? And what's mine? If it's my stuff, I can deal with it. And then, how do you? equate that with building friendship so for example if you've got someone who Mm. does manage to I don't know do things that you would consider to be inappropriate potentially hurtful how Mm. do you handle that in terms of remaining connected to that person but knowing Mm. that they're continually choosing that's really good that's really good it sounds this sounds awful but we've we borrowed this off a friend of ours it's a I think our relational maps are a bit like a London tube station 
Yeah. There's Chris and me and the kids. Then there's close friends and family. And then there are people who are like zone three, four, five, six. Okay. Zone two, three, four, five, six. I just let it go. It is what it is. Wow. If, if it's repetitive, if it's like a work relationship thing where actually it will affect a lot of other people and it's not, you know, it needs to be dealt with in a more professional way. That's one thing. But in terms of just straight relationship, yeah. where it's me and them, I just let it go. Just let it go, let it go. I'm going to grow. But if it's the ones where it's our future, it's our marriage, or it's my relationship with my children or my closest friends, I just say, I bring it to the table. And I've been learning recently, as I'm sure lots of us are very familiar with, not to say you're doing this, but this is how yeah. that feels when that happens. Right. And just build bridges, not barriers, as our mutual friend Tanya West would say. Yes. So it's yeah. totally on the value of the longevity of the relationship. It's a long haul thing. I just say, look, that's painful. This isn't working. But if it's a periphery, more of a periphery thing, I just go, it's probably a shocker for everyone around them. But that's not my responsibility at this point, unless they invite me into that. Yeah. So just dialing in on that, then you've got both sides of the weighing scales, haven't you? You've got, Mm. I'm not going to be offended. I'm choosing not to let that, you know, ruin my day. However, I am going to let you know that that was hard to hear. Yeah. And do yeah. people respond well to that? I mean, we are in such an offended society. I mean, you only need to yeah, open social totally. media, don't you? And we can't even hold different political opinions without yeah. having to have a war with each yeah. other. So this is really good stuff. So yeah. how do you find people respond in Zones 1 Surpri- and 2? Surprisingly well. Right. And quite a relief. I think it's like boundaries for adults, isn't it? Yes. And I think we thrive when we when someone just says to us, actually that wasn't great or that I didn't feel that was kind or respectful I actually go okay yeah fair enough and almost I think we almost kind of need that so particularly when it's very close friends people I we know we love each other deeply it's actually feels really kind there's this proverb Jewish proverb which is like an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips which our children find so squirmy not there yet they're like oh my gosh why would I do that um but I actually think there's something in that there's something in the trust that is built by saying that hurts yes in the context of and I think this is what you kind of drill down a lot on parenting it's because we have that particular position in that person's life whether it's a parent or a spouse or a partner or a friend yes that gives permission for those kind of conversations in a way that i don't think is helpful if there isn't that relational depth yes i see your capital point. in the bank account of, of relational capital mm. yeah i like that i have a metaphor which is they're like knots in a tree and so mm. the friendships that you've had to go there and go I'm not coping very well with with this aspect or when you did that the other day that was painful then you put Mm -hmm. a knot in your tree and of course that's a really strong strong place in the world isn't it yeah that's lovely that's a really nice image yeah and relationally again I want to go back to something that you said right at the beginning which is that you have I guess it's it lines up with your zones as well first of all it's you and Chris then it's Mm. the kids then Mm. it's the outside world Do you think culturally, if you were to look at a sociological map of our, well, Western world Mm. at the moment, that's typical or do you think it's not at all? No, I don't. I think one of our greatest weaknesses is is the irony. It's always the upside down of one of our greatest strengths is our radical individualism as a, a, a thinker, kind of cultural thinker, Mark Sayers puts it. And I think 
that is challenging to have that and then still try and build deep relationship. I think we need to have that. I think it's important that we've come to a democratization, the level we have. I think that is an important growth and progression. I would never want to lose what we have. Every person matters. What they bring to the table matters. Their contribution matters. I think that's beautiful and it just sits right. It just sits right. However, we also have to learn to then work out what community looks like in the context of that. Maybe it's the community of urban marriage and family and partnership at home, but maybe it's the community amongst friends, whatever the community is. We have to learn how to navigate that appropriate positioning of self within the context of the other. And I think if we don't start to really address this soon, I think we might be like the Titanic hitting an iceberg. Because I don't think community flourishes with such an onus on radical individualism. So, in exactly. So, in our family, I know friends of mine who would say their children come first, or mm. they come first, or maybe their partner comes first and they don't come into the play at all. It's not about they're more like sacrificial lambs. So, there's a whole range of things. Mm. For me, I think I just got there by this kind of works to me. Mm. That if we're in a good place, Chris and I, it's mm. going to be better for our kids. And if we're on in a good place as a, a five, then it's going to be better for other people. It just, for me, sits right. And I'm ready to be challenged or wrong about that. But it kind of feels like there's something in it that sits right. Mm. I think you're right. And I think it is something that's very difficult for this particular generation of parents to hold, I think quite often it is my kids come first. And I know yeah. there are going to be people listening to this who don't have a partner. And yeah. you know, I'm not looking to make this conversation difficult for them. But mm. I do think that that expression, the best thing I can do for my children is to love their dad, really mm. holds dear for me. Because I think that mm. my children are most secure when Con and I are in a good place. Mm. And if we've got but I would even say, I agree completely, but even if you're co-parenting, so you're bringing up your children in one home and then they go to your ex-partners, their parent in another home, yeah. the way you relate to each other and how you do that, the work that how you, can, if you can do that amicably and, and equitably and justly, that still is the best thing for the children. So there are levels of that, obviously, yeah. and there are intensities and there are challenges, and sometimes it's just not appropriate. But the level to which there is a relationship, that relationship is done well, will be powerful for the children. They will see something modelled about how to do life well, even with challenges, yes. that will make them feel more secure, I think. Yes, well said, well said. Gosh, we've had a fascinating conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, I was going to ask you, what's a courageous thing that you've done as a mum? But you've already told me that, mm. you know, one of your courageous things. So have you got anything else up your sleeve? Yeah, so that, that one you've just mentioned was always have a growth mindset, whoever, whatever, however it's packaged, be willing to change and learn and grow. Love that. Uh, including my children. And then the other one is have a fully transparent uh, relationship with Chris. So that's not something I control about him. That's his choice. But from my point of view, I'm going to have one life, no no secret life, no double life, just everything's out there on the table appropriately mm -hmm. in a way that we really can then build trust in the relationship. Now, a lot of people would say that honesty is really important. Trust is really mm. important to them. But where would you say that's challenging for you? 
it's risk, isn't it? And that everything about human connection is risk and risk is risk. Mm. It can work really well and be the most incredible experience of our lives when we take risks. And it can also genuinely go wrong. And I think it's learning how to move in vulnerability appropriately. I grew up trained in the opposite I was trained in cynicism and scepticism and self-protection. So this has been a really, a real unraveling to learn that this way of life is better. And when I weigh the two, I, I keep wanting to do the vulnerability, trust, honesty, risk thing, because the other approach just dehumanizes me and probably then the relationships I'm in. So I think I, I just, I don't know how it works. I don't know particularly why it works, but I feel like that way of life works, even though sometimes it's messy, can go wrong, it's awkward, it's painful. It still feels better than the self-protecting, cynical, skeptical, not bringing my whole heart to the table option just doesn't mm. seem to work to build flourishing relationships. And I realise I'm on tender ground here because it's going to be personal to you and Chris, but can you think of an example without obviously giving us detail of something mm. that you've shared that you wouldn't have done in your previous morph of cynicism? Mm. Yeah, I think it's probably threads of this is how I feel in this situation or or maybe saying something specifically that I've done that was wrong that I would have attached shame to and, mm. and just learning not to just to say I did that. Mm. I want you to know about it or I felt that or I thought that that's not who I am but that happened. So it's kind of maybe more concrete things, but just saying, I just want you to know, but that's not who I really am. And, or generally having a, an approach, which is, oh, this is still so hard to say, but that I kind of feel a rejection with that mm. or with this, or, you know, that, that I struggle with that because of the insignificance or whatever it is. So I guess mm. there's two levels. Mm. There's the concrete, specific, I actually just, this thing, I want to make sure you know about not to do anything but just so that I'm open versus a general approach of when I feel those kind of emotions or feelings or thoughts about myself which are marked more by low self-esteem just making sure I get them out enable them again not looking for rescue not looking for anything because that's inappropriate but just saying this is what's going on with me and I'm just gonna bring it to you mm. because I want you to know me I love that. And is he good at receiving that or has he learned to be good? Yeah, what was amazing was we met at university where you think you're busy. <laughs> you, think, you think you've got no time. Actually, you've got a lot of time. So we, did, <laughs> we, had, we just did all like loads and loads of, he had a lot of time to do a lot of deep chats and process a lot of stuff together. And so I think from the very beginning, he's he's an introvert and I'm an extrovert so it's definitely going to be less words but it's still as as concrete and strong with him what he brings to the table he yeah. will bring those thought processes and, and things and when I say stuff I think we've learned how to do it in a way that is is appropriate and doesn't move into any kind of codependency or anything mm. it's just like this is who I am this is who you are we respect our self but we also want to be known mm. so yeah I think again it's a hard one thing over like 20 years isn't it these well things done. but I think we're at a place now where it's quite quick and easy to just go da -da -da, da -da -da -da. Yeah. we're back yeah you know? I love that you've defined <laughs> I am from I did mm. did that yes that's not yes. who I am because shame yes. is so easy to pick up isn't it so yeah 
Yeah. I think, uh, is it Brené Brown that does a really, a lot of really good work on she that? Does. And just, yeah, it's like we, we would agree. I think lots of people now say it's not great to say to your child, you're wrong, you're naughty. It's saying what you did then, yeah. that's not who you are, but what you did. And I think we need to apply that to adults, us as well. It's yeah. not who, I know it's not who I am to act like that or say that or think mm. that. I know deep down that isn't a true reflection of me, but mm. I did, so I need to just acknowledge that yeah that's life-giving isn't it it sure is I could have gone on all day I loved it when she said I know that's not who I am to act like that or think like that I know that's not a true reflection of who I am that great discernment between making a mistake and your own identity so different I love a laugh and I also love meaty gritty conversations around connection and relationship and the vulnerability cost. Alice seems to have that great balance of being lightweight and depthy. Love it. And I'm sure you'll have got some great concepts out of it too. Can I ask you a favour? If you're enjoying the podcast, please could you rate and review it? You just swing to the bottom of all the podcasts on The Courageous Mama and it gives you an option to leave a comment and give it a star rating hopefully five. If you'd like to chat about an issue, book a meeting, make a comment, buy a book, I'm very easy to find. I'm basically the courageous mama everywhere. On the blog, on the podcast, on Instagram and even on Gmail. Or just pop to the links below. Thanks for joining me. I'm here every Tuesday and I'll see you next week.